Welcome to episode 218 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. My youngest is going to turn three years old this December. He's at that age when he finds a lot of things scary. It's like he suddenly learned the concept scary and is testing out how it applies to the world around him. A windy day is scary, even if he's inside the house. He finds his own shrieks scary and covers his ears, telling us too loud, which is very amusing. He started using a mantra to help ease his angst during these moments. I'm not scared. I'm not scared. On the surface, this seems like a great way for him to flip his internal script and get back to his usual happy equilibrium. But is it? Is declaring himself not scared helping him? Or is the message, I'm scared, being reinforced? I've not studied the law of attraction or watched The Secret, but I've been told by many that my way of living, my philosophy of abundance, is aligned with these concepts. And saying, I'm not scared, is counter the message I want to be telling myself. Instead, I'd want to remind myself that I'm brave. Buddha said it best, what you think you become, what you feel you attract, what you imagine you create. While the challenges I post each week are for you, this week, I'm taking on the challenge of shifting my child to a new mantra. I am brave. I am brave. It's a lesson I hope he carries with him for the rest of his life. Your challenge this week. What are the negative messages you're unconsciously repeating in your head? How could you reframe them so you're reminding yourself how you want to be instead of what you're trying to avoid? Don't stop there. You can't just believe your way to success. Combine your thoughts with action to achieve your dreams. Try this and let me know how it goes. Now, onto this week's interview. Today's guest has built his career on the power of building high-quality relationships with world-renowned authors and global thought leaders like Marshall Goldsmith, Ron Kaufman, and Brian Tracy. He is the Chief Energizing Officer of Bright Selection Speakers, a global speakers management and marketing company that works with international high-profile celebrity speakers, regional speakers, and industry experts. He has built an impressive network with clients in Europe, the Gulf, India, and Asia. He partners with entrepreneurs and corporate professionals to build meaningful, long-lasting relationships by applying his breaking bread philosophy so that they can make a difference to their lives and transform their companies to achieve greater heights of success. Please join me in welcoming Gautam Ganglani. Thank you very much, Robbie. It's an absolute pleasure to be, to be on your show. Thank you. Gautam, thank you so much for joining us from your home in Mumbai, India. Uh, as you know, this is a show about building strong networks, and the context is leadership. So tell us, how do you define leadership, and when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Thanks, Robbie. In fact, for me, being a good leader is, in my leadership style, is all about relationships. And I guess that foundation comes from the culture that we're in, being in India, you know, it's families that eat together, stay together. So we've always been a relationship sort of uh, family, be it our immediate family, extended family. We brought that philosophy into our business that, you know, even our teams were regarded as extended family. 
and then be it our customers, our suppliers became professional friends or, you know, family to some extent. So it was always about relationship first. And my dad always said, the most important bank account is the emotional bank account, your relationship capital. So from a young age, my dad really um, inculcated into our sort of mindsets about the importance of relationship first. And you can build the foundation and build your business, build your life, build your your relationships based on that philosophy. Gosh, I that's amazing advice from a father. And I'm thinking about my own kids who are young and how I can help them embrace those same philosophies. You know, when you were young, how did that get applied? Like, what did that mean when you're a kid? Is there, like, how do you, how do you show that to a child? Well, um, for me as a family, I could say from my experience, you know, we, you know, we'd meet every, obviously every evening for, for a family meal together, or they called it in the UK supper. But on Sundays was the, the extended family get together every Sunday lunch was something we looked forward to. So it was my first cousins, second cousins, um, family friends would come together for a Sunday meal where it wouldn't be just four or five of you or your core family. You'd actually be 15, 20 or more. And that's continued throughout my life, be it in London, be it in, in Dubai, and even now in Mumbai, the extended family comes together. And we really um, you know, have that philosophy that families that eat together stay together. My family would say, we must have a meal together. That's where you share, you build rapport, you know what relationships are all about, you know who your uncles are, you know who your aunts are. And so to me, it's really that family meal on a Sunday or as a Friday in the Gulf that really, to me, made that a summer part of our culture and made it loud and clear, part of our conscious and subconscious. Love it. So when did you start to realize that you had some of these skills to apply to your own life? Like when did leadership start to kind of be true for you? Well, I, I sort of relate this to a story of, of, of what I went through as a teenager. Um, having been born and brought up in the UK at the age of 13 to 15 was a very difficult time for me at school. Um, to be very precise, I was bullied. I was teased, humiliated, made fun of. And so my self-esteem and confidence was an all-time low. Nothing made any sense. I was confused. I was lost, anxious, to some extent you'd say stressed. And I went to my dad and I said, I'm, you know, can you guide me? I, I, I don't understand the purpose of life. I don't understand where I should go. I don't have very few friends. Everything seems to be going wrong. My grades are below average. And he said to me, I'm going to give you some advice. And before I give you that advice, this is going to be great for the rest of your life. Because, you know, the two things that are constant in life, my dad said, are change and challenge. So to me, whether it's relationship, whether it's financial, whether it's business, whether it's health, we all have different challenges at different times in our life. And change and challenge today, it's COVID-19 is the change and the challenge we're all going through. So the three pieces of advice he said are going to help you today in school and help you for the rest of your life. And I said, yes, I'm all ears, Dad. What is the three pieces of advice? And he said, firstly, surround yourself with the right people. Secondly, continuously learn. And third and most important is take action, take massive action. I asked him, please, can you elaborate? He said, well, you need to surround yourself with people who are like-minded, like-hearted, who make you feel good about yourself, uplift you, inspire you, are positive. Because what you feel by the people around you uplifts your whole outlook on life. And if you continuously learn, we learn from everything that we learn from people, you learn from books today, you learn from all the different mediums. And above all, not only do you learn, you need to take action. When you actually lead the progress or you learn and try again. 
And when you apply these, you're bound to have breakthroughs and find solutions to whatever challenges you go through. So to me, that's when I really found from the age of 16 onwards that with this skill set and these principles, I was able to lead every area of my life. At that time, it was a social life, um, my, my sort of studies and education before using these same principles back into the business. So do you feel like prior to experiencing, I mean, that hardship, I mean, I don't even, the, this is a big fear being a parent, actually, my children either bullying or being bullied. So prior to being 13 and, and facing this hardship for the next couple of years, and, you know, fortunately, again, having an incredibly wise father to help guide you, were you a, a shy kid then prior to that? Is that part of like how people targeted you? Because, you you know, had you not sort of found your place it is, it's always different, right? Is it, you also said you grew up in the UK, um, you know, you're of Indian descent. So it's like, was it something about also being different in the space? Like, was it just hard to find your footing when you were younger? Yeah, I, I guess that the pinpoint was, I was, you know, different in the sense from nationality wise, cultural wise, I may have had different sort of, uh, you know, experiences and, you know, than the rest of the kids who were predominantly from the UK. So that would have been, and very few people, because at the end, once I made my friends, I have the best of European friends across the culture. So I guess once you find the right type of people, so there's always a, um, you know, a small niche of people across board in every single niche of life. So in that time, I just felt that I was made to feel different. And, and so that, you know, those type of people were the wrong people I was surrounding myself with. And that's where my, my parents, be it before that experience, during that experience, and hands on is that, the families coming together, the family, friends, um, the kind of people they made us, the, the experiences they gave us as children were always about uplifting, encouraging, inspiring, be it the movies we watched as a family, be it the books we read, be it the kind of people we met, be it the experiences we had. They always wanted to be sort of an experience which would be uplifting, inspiring, encouraging. So I, they did everything they could within their space in the evenings and weekends. And this was a space I guess I need to navigate myself with their guidance. And that was probably the distinction. I'm curious how your experience being um, seen as different, not quite fitting in, informs how you lead today. Is there something about your worldview that you feel like you have a unique sort of perspective on life that maybe others who didn't face that challenge don't have? Um, two, two, two thoughts come to my mind when you ask that. Firstly, um, the first thought is absolutely that experience has made me stronger, more resilient, more confident, because we all go through challenges. I mean, 2009 was a major economic financial challenge. And I, I could say that it took me three months to come out of that. And the first step was acceptance, because I've had two major sort of challenges in my, in my life, both economical sort of business challenges. And it took me three to six months to sort of move to acceptance. But the moment I moved to acceptance, I recall these words of wisdom that my dad said, and I quickly shifted out of that. I'm grateful in COVID-19, um, I, I accepted within 48 hours and I went into overdrive. I've done more in these six months than I've done in an entire year. I mean, we've done over 25 events with 15,000 people in, in four months. I didn't even do that amount of volume in a year. So to me, we went and did the exact opposite. And while people were quieter, we got, you know, made more noise, made, provided more value than ever before, um, albeit not, not at any commercial fee. For the first three months, we said, this is the time to give back. This is the time to build value, to make a difference and help those really in need, the children who don't even know where a meal is from, 
So we had a 90-day plan. We went all out to just give value with back-to-back learning experiences and provided that for three months. So to me, that, that experience in my teenage years helped me become resilient, more stronger, and know that I have been through a challenge. And it's just naming it a challenge. And these three pieces of advice have been great. Um, the other part of the answer that came to mind from when you asked that was that I think I'm, I'm really, really grateful because having lived in the Western world during my childhood and then Dubai and now India, I think it's a phenomenal asset today because I've worked across cultures, different continents. And it's amazing um, that my voice accent changes depending who I'm speaking to. Um, a slightly different tangent, but it's to me, it boils down to people feeling comfortable with you. If I'm picking up a call and speaking to someone in London, I could say, hi, Simon. Yeah, Gotham here. How are you doing? Great, etc. And then I could be on another call to someone in India and saying, hi, Anand, how are you? Now, I start using certain dialects and it comes from your subconscious. So either the accent, certain words and certain phrases make the other person, whether they're English, uh, Arabic or Indian, uh, they feel very comfortable. And so to me, that experience of my childhood days contributes to the person I've become today more stronger and more versatile to work globally. And um, that's some of the thoughts that come to my mind for that question, Robbie. Gotsam, I was thinking about how globally minded you are. <laughs> and I mean, I said as much in your intro. And, and also just wanted to say that piece you said around uh, COVID-19 hitting and you assessing things and, and you know, accepting and taking action. I had a very similar experience and I, and I don't like, I think the way your father laid out those three steps uh, really rang true for me. Uh, March 9th, the business I'd built for 12 years was seeming less relevant. March 11th, it was definitely not relevant. I was teaching in-person networking skills, <laughs> eye contact, business cards, handshakes, body language. None of that was relevant March 11th. And I was struggling with how to show up and add value. That was my core question. I wasn't worrying about my business. I was worrying about showing up and adding value. And March 13th, I hosted my first virtual happy hour. And I have held one every week since. So over six months. And I've had 800 people sign up since April. Um, 60% have been there four more times. 50% have been eight or more times. 20% have lost track, they say, in the survey. Um, they just plan their week around it. And the most incredible part is that I only met three or four or five people in person who come regularly, like 50 or 60 people come. And I've, I never, I've never been within hugging distance of a vast, vast majority. And all my business has come from that, even though I don't charge a dime for it. So like you said, you know, it's about the relationships. It's about always learning and growing. And it's about taking massive action. So that's a very different mindset than I think you, like you were mentioning, like a lot of people, when challenges happen in the world, particularly like global ones, um, but also divorce or bankruptcy or any, anything on a person, more personal level, some people just freeze. And it sounds like you have gotten it in your head to like assess, accept, take action. And that's sort of been like a process that you just sort of go, go through. Yeah, I absolutely took actually a blank piece of paper and I wrote down 130, 140. I've got a separate book, People's Names. And then I said, okay, what do I need to learn? I need to learn to become friends with the internet more than ever before, become digitally savvy, host webinars, run technical stuff myself, read certain articles, watch certain people. 
and then above all, then take action. So I literally followed that simply as a keep. It sounds so simple, but actually doing it is key. And I had over 100 conversations in the first 60 days, like three to five people a day, and just 30 minute calls. How are you? What's going on? What's working for you? Is there anything I can do to help, to add value? And, you know, most of those calls, people are in difficult situations, but they just appreciated listening ear, an empathetic ear. And they felt, thank you so much, Gotham, for that call. Um, you know, no, no business at all, but that's not the point. The point is you made impact, you added value, you're top of mind when the right opportunity arises, you're going to be thought of. And for those who are in a good state of mind, we started exploring what can we co-create? What can we collaborate? Where can we add value? What's the today's pain? What, you know, and those sort of questions, you start asking great questions, but I just applied those three principles um, and just took action. No, that's wonderful. The, the um, person who introduced us is Dory Clark. And I believe it's from Dory that I learned this idea of, of looking for the gaps. And so when I was, you know, in that my own moment, I mean, I remember being really stuck. When I go back and look at a calendar, it was about two and a half days. <laughs> I had two and a half days where I was like, oh, what do I do? What do I do? And then it was like, just start doing things. But really, it came down to like, look for the gaps and what, what are people's needs? What's, what's happening today? Like you just said, you know, where, where are today's problems? that we can address and, and, and engage with. So, I mean, this is fantastic for everyone who's listening. I'm so excited that you're sharing both your advice and your father's advice. When did you realize you wanted to kind of go into the work you're doing today? I mean, you're, you're working with speakers, you're helping match speakers to companies that are looking for the right fit. I mean, literally right. The right selection is the right selection is the name of your company, right? So, um, What's what was your draw into the world of speaking and and the sort of meetings industry? Great. Uh, actually, in '93 is when the company got set up by my dad. And you know, pr prior to '93, my dad was in a the Asia, Asian business line, was just importing and exporting. But he always said, "I want to do something which I'm passionate about. I enjoy doing because we spend people say 70% of our lives at work. So you should absolutely be in love with what you do because every business goes through cycles." ups and downs, but what keeps it sustainable and helps you potentially thrive is when you love what you do. So actually in 93, my dad opened this bookstore in Dubai, a self-help bookstore, you know, with books from Norman Vincent Peale, Dale Carnegie, Napoleon Hill, Stephen Covey, to name a few. And I joined him in 95 and he said to me, you know, I want you to go and travel for a couple of months. And I went to travel to Hong Kong, Singapore, stayed with family or friends, just to have a cultural experience and also see different walks of life before coming back. He then said to me, six months, you know, and we always had his father and son sort of really good special bond, which we still have today. I'm abundantly grateful for. And he said to me, six months, experience this and tell me, you know, if you enjoy this or you want to look for something independently. So I had two months experience overseas, then six months. And then six months, what I loved about more than anything was just the kind of people that we were surrounding ourselves with because there were people with the mindset of continuous improvement, uh, help, helpful, kind, um, sort of upbeat, energetic people because the kind of books we were sort of offering was self-help, business development, professional development, um, which then led on to audios, videos, etc. So that was really the starting point, this bookstore, a six-month journey, and made some really good professional friends. That on, led on to obviously then eventually bringing these authors of the books live when my dad and me said, 
what next in 99? And we said, how do we take this business to the next level? And we decided to bring the best authors of the books that did really well, because we saw an emotional connect between the books and the aspiration to meet these authors, teachers, and gurus. And, and the business grew from there, there onwards. It's, that's just a powerful uh, origin story for what could have just been, well, I thought that there would be like a good market. <laughs> you know, like you could have had a very short answer. I'm, I'm glad to hear there was a good story there. And also that like businesses iterate, you know, originally it sounds like there was a desire to do a bookstore. The bookstore attracts certain kinds of people. I love this idea that you had the out that you weren't, you were like invited to a family business, but also given the, you know, if this isn't for you, that's okay. Like, let's check in in six months. And then six years later, it's like, well, how do we, how do we up the game here? How do we make this even better? Six, we've been around for six years of this business. And the, the next natural step was to think about how to highlight and feature these authors in a bigger way. And what's, I mean, I guess a lot's changed, but like what has been most like, I guess, transformative about the space you're working in in the last 20 years? There's, I mean, obviously there's the whole COVID-19 piece of like speaking virtually, but so many new people have sort of written books and become top thought leaders and, you know, global, globally recognized experts. What's, what's been dynamically different or is it really kind of the same thing? It's just the mediums that are changing. Yeah. I mean, just to go back a little bit, but basically from 2000, 2015, we started working with speakers and hosting public seminars, workshops, trainings. And what would happen is companies would come to us and say, can we bring in the speaker for a live event or for an exclusive event? And that's how the sort of speaker bureau come speaker management model worked. And then the book side of the business took care of itself because you ran public seminars, people would engage in buying those books. And then the larger companies would say, let's bring them in live. And you sort of had these other verticals from coaching, consultancy, and training opening up. And beyond Dubai, we opened up in the Gulf and what we say, the Indian subcontinent. Um, and then obviously, yes, more recently, I've myself relocated to India because the last three years I was traveling back and forth between Dubai and India. And so the market in India was larger. They were hungrier. They had a hunger to learn. And I moved my base here while still having a presence in the Middle East. Um, and I'd say... To answer your question specifically, the first three months, whilst we did everything at no commercial sort of cost at all, what we did do is said, this is a golden time for market research because the world is changing, things are changing. So every event, we asked questions, we ran polls, we understand what's your pain point now? If you were to attend an event, what's the length of time you'd like to attend? If you had, you know, what was your frequency? What's your preferred learning method? What's the investment? Because what we realized is whilst companies were not spending, um, individuals are willing to invest in themselves. So whole philosophy focused on invest in yourself. That was the message. Because people realized if I've got my current job or my current business, I need to become smarter, more resilient, more confident, switched on, keep myself mentally switched on and positive. Otherwise, I get into a negative, anxious, stressful vacuum. So they said, invest in myself. And if I lose my job or I have to close my business, I still need to upskill for my next journey and be in the right mindset to take the next journey. So we saw that as our focus. So I would say we learned a lot in those three months and we reverse engineered that data to then, to then sort of plan the next three months where we run two-hour programs or weekly programs for an hour or coaching programs or one-to-one. 
So it, the business has moved online, but it's and it's still work in progress, Robbie. Um, you know, whatever we've done in the last few months, I was speaking to someone today and I'm like, we have to change again this month. We have to be really receptive to adapting month on month because the needs are changing. Um, the markets are still changing with the uncertainty that's going on. So I think the model's evolving. And most important is keep communicating with your customers, keep listening, asking great questions, and be willing to adapt and change at short notice. That's sort of the, the sort of philosophy that we live by today. You mentioned earlier continuous improvement. It's a, it's a philosophy that I, I've been living by quite strongly recently. Um, I actually think that every time we host or speak online, we need to get 5% better. You know, just like <laughs> continuous improvement because, you know, what was okay, what passes okay in March and April, definitely not okay today. And what's okay today probably won't be okay six months from now and a year from now, right? Because the game's going to keep changing. The, the, the baseline's going to keep shifting. So it's this idea that you're kind of trying things out for three months and then working to improve upon that model another three months, like quarterly, like adjustments. I mean, it makes sense right now to be nimble and organizations that can be more responsive probably will do better now. Even ones like yourself that have been around for 20, some 25 years, like, you know, it's just, it, even that is, even with that, if you can find ways to be responsive and look for that continuous improvement, you're, you're better off, right? Then those companies that are like, we're waiting for it to just go back to in-person. <laughs> and I'm like, good luck. <laughs> Absolutely, Robbie. In fact, three thoughts come to my mind from that very statement you meant. First and foremost, people ask me, so you've got 25 years experience. You know, how are you navigating? I said, no, for me, the mindset that I've told my team to take, we have 25 years experience, but we're a startup. So we're a startup with 25 years experience. Because as a startup, I think their biggest asset as a startup, you're, you're, you're open to trying everything. And sometimes if you rest on the experience, you say, no, that's how it's done. That's how it's done. And you sort of slow yourself down from being nimble. So to me, the other mindset we took as a team is that we've got to take the position as a startup. So we're flexible, we're open, and we can you know, make new decisions and not rest on our laurels of that's how it was done or I've got 25 years experience, et cetera. Um, the, other thought, the other thought that comes is sort of Ron Kaufman's model, as you said, you know, basic, expected, desired, surprising and unbelievable and what was expected and desired last year is now basic this year so we we constantly ask ourselves and i ask myself every day what new value can i bring to my customers what new value can i bring to each and every person i interact with and just by asking that question your brain is always thinking what new what next what new what next you're not just being complacent and waiting so i think asking yourself and asking your team and asking your customers great questions is the secret to sort of continuous improvement. Uh, I want to bottle everything you just said and like make sure everyone gets it. <laughs> so I'm so <laughs> glad we're recording this and sharing and I hope everyone's taking notes who's listening. I, I want to shift us back to specifically talking about relationships, which I know you've you've very thoughtfully woven that in because it's it seems like such a through line to who you are. But as you're thinking about your own network, you've got the sort of innermost sort of circle of friends and family that you know, you know you're going to see. And then there's sort of what I think of as sort of the second and third layer or second and third tier out. Maybe the people that you see once a year at a conference or you work with five years ago, or you have, you know, have some connection to, but you don't have a reason to work with them today. But you like them, they like you. How do you stay in touch with that sort of weaker connection? Is there any kind of habits or philosophies or practices that, you know, 
help you maintain and nurture and sustain those connections? Great question, Robbie. Great question. And you know, traditionally, people think breaking bread is formally a meal between two people. Yes, that's what it may be. But to me, breaking bread is a positive energy exchange between two or more people. So for me, you can break bread over a phone call. You can break bread over an email. You can break bread you know, in terms of every communication is a chance and an opportunity to break bread. And one may ask, what does that mean? You know, to me, when I write an email, I see emails written like, you know, one line sentences or two lines. To me, I would say it was a delightful pleasure meeting you. Or, you know, just by putting some emotion in the words which with you write. I've asked people, how are my mails? And I got them. I can't get your mails out of my head because you were so encouraging, so inspiring. And all you were doing was confirming a meeting, but it was with so much energy. I could feel your energy, even though I'd not met you. And that was from an email. To me, that itself is breaking bread. That is a form of energy exchange. That is a relationship building activity. So to me, leaving someone more positive than when they'd not met you. And that is in every form. I mean, every single day, whether it's a phone or Zoom, an email, an article, any form of communication is an opportunity to add value with emotion and make a difference in, in the people's lives. And that to me is how you can stay in touch with tier two, tier three, tier four, in my experience. When you sat down to make a list of, I think you said 120 or so people at the beginning of the yeah. pandemic, and these are the people you wanted to reach out to, what were the criteria for who went on that list? I actually just did it with it sort of without thinking. I just wrote names nonstop. It's sort of a philosophy I learned from a speaker called David Allen who who wrote Getting Things Done. I mean, a different form of task doing is what he calls a mind dump. Just keep, don't think, just keep writing. So I just wrote down everybody and I wrote down from school friends I'd not been in touch with. So I went to the level of even connecting now with my school friends where we meet every week um, on a Sunday for a catch up. And we did that for two months and we'd not met in years. So I just wanted to connect with every person who's had an impact in my life from my childhood to this. I didn't analyze anything about it. Being really honest, I just said every person who I've known in my life from my childhood to my business career, family or friends, I want to say hello to. If nothing else, I just want to say hello to every human being as possible. And I just, we were actually, the list has crossed 150 now, but I've said hello to 150 people and probably 100 of them I may not have connected in a long time on a face-to-face chat. So that was how the list was was created, probably. I was so curious about this because as a I'm a, a business strategy coach and one of the assignments I often give the clients and students that I work with is to make a list of 100 people that A, would remember your name and B, you would be happy to hear from out of the blue. And then sometimes there's a third criteria, like within a certain sector, industry or job title, if there's a focus to the effort. Um, But honestly, just following those first two, they remember your name and you'd be happy to hear from out of the blue, which sounds awful close to what you did. You know, you're like, oh, these are people who would know me. And I would love to like even out of the blue years later, let's reconnect. A lot of people I talk to at first have a lot of hesitancy about reaching out to someone they haven't talked to in some period of time. And that period of time, I think, changes depending on who the person is. But in their mind, it's it's been too long. How how do you address that when you hear that? Because for you, clearly, that wasn't the issue. You had school friends that you hadn't talked to in a long time. You're like, if anything, this is the best time to reach out because everyone worldwide is experiencing this. That was my take. But how do you address that for people who are like, oh, really? But if I think of someone from grad school, 
I haven't talked to those people in, you know, 15 years. And you're like, but why should they do it? I spoke, I spoke to one such friend after 24 years last week, Robbie. 24 years. When we graduated from university, I tried reaching out to him. He went off the radars, not even on Facebook, not on LinkedIn. And somehow during this pandemic, suddenly some social media page, he showed up and we had an hour call and it was unbelievable. Um, but to answer your question specifically, you said the magic words because you said in your mind. And that's where it stands. It's in our minds that holds us back. I have, I have hesitated with a few calls from time to time. And the moment I've made that call, I realized that people have been so appreciative because people want, again, it goes back to the three principles, knowing so to know and not to do is not yet to know, you know. And so many people, they know it'll make a difference, but they hesitate. How will they think? Oh my God, I've not spoken for a long time. It'll feel different. It'll feel awkward. In fact, it's the exact opposite. I've called him. He's like, oh my God, Gotham. I don't know what has taken us so long to keep in touch. I wish we'd spoken earlier. Is that kind of response. Thank you so much. And you have a flashback of all those positive memories because they're deeply entrenched in your subconscious. You know, the five or six calls I've had in a similar nature, we had a flashback and we, we smiled, we laughed, we giggled because we remembered all those special fun moments in our childhood years and re remembered a specific restaurant or a specific um, experience, event we attended. So to me, it's the exact opposite. It's just yourself. Make the call and you will realize, wow, I wish I'd done this earlier. That's my advice. All right, so everyone listening, uh, I'm going to call this the Gotham Challenge from now on. <laughs> <laughs> Go write a list of 100 people. Don't overthink it. And then make a plan to start actually reaching out to these folks. It, I, I think the I, I actually lost a, a client because of this. She was about to renew for another six months after working with me for a year. And her first assignment for that next period of time was this list. And we hadn't actually solidified the new six-month contract. Right. And she found a job. Now, she was an entrepreneur of 20 years, had no interest in ever being employed by somebody, but they made her an offer and she counteroffered with everything under the sun. And they said yes to everything, including that she could still have her business. And she took it. And in fact, I'm so grateful for her because when the pandemic hit, that was a much more secure place for her to be. Although she just, she made this decision like two months before that. So none of us would have known. But, you know, sometimes unbelievable opportunity can come when you say hello. You don't go in with those intentions. I love this has been so good. So um, one of my favorite questions that I love to sort of wrap up on is if we were connecting again a year from now, and I know we'll find reasons to stay in touch because you and I are those kinds of people. But let's say we realize, wow, it's been about a year since we did this interview. I want to know a year from now, what will we be celebrating what are the achievements that you're most looking forward to in the year ahead? Interesting question. To me, I would say to being able to find a way to make even bigger impact, because to me, that's one thing that the virtual world creates. That's one of the biggest opportunities, the scalability. To me, on the offline world, I was consumed with this region of India and the Gulf. In our third month in business in this new, new venture, it was amazing that we had, a, we had a talent from Dubai, I'm in India, and we worked with a phenomenal company in Australia. 
And I framed that picture just to say, this never happened before COVID. So the opportunities to work globally, um, we even had people from the US and Canada attend our webinars in India, and even some of them signed up for some of our paid workshops. So to me, the Australian one was a corporate one, but individuals have come on board. So to me, the scalability of making global impact instead of regional impact um, and making sure that's a part of our, our growing business a year from now would be what I can envision. And we've already tasted some of that to know that, that it's, it's a possibility. And if I am consistent in providing value and making a difference, that, that will become a, a reality for sure. Well, I can't wait to celebrate that with you, Gautam. That's amazing. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about your book, Breaking Bread. Yeah, um, well, I'm grateful that, you know, the Breaking Bread book was launched just a month back. It's available on Amazon globally. And it's a really short read, actually. It was inspired to me because I've loved the books, the simple books. Like, I look for books that people who don't read will still read. Like, Who Moved My Cheese? Um, Fish Philosophy, Well Done. These are simple parables that are simple to read, but yet have a deeper meaning. They're more profound. And they're not sort of, they're easy to read. So my, me, I had that sort of mindset when I put this book together. Um, and I've been representing authors and speakers for over 20 years. And I was always asked, Arthur, when are you writing your book? When are you speaking on stage? And one fine day I was speaking at a speaker's association on, you know, what, you know, what, how do you build relationships? Um, and I titled the keynote as Breaking Bread because I wanted to come up with a catchy name, not just like build relationships. And I said, I've always been the person to break bread. One of our things, we've hosted over 100 meals at home where we brought our clients together. And, you know, when I'm asked, what's the best marketing strategy? PR, radio, newspaper, TV, word of mouth. I said, no, breaking bread. It would just be a standard answer. So the name stuck with me. This keynote was the foundation of writing the book because I transcribed that keynote. It was the first 5,000 words of the book. Um, so breaking bread is a philosophy I live by. I I thoroughly endorse and the book got created you know in the last six months of COVID added with a chapter breaking bread online is the closing chapter so no one can say oh that's applicable only to meals it actually is applied you know breaking bread online so um, to me that's the philosophy where you build a personal and professional relationship which is sustainable long term it's not transactional it's not just close the deal it's something which you have patience you have persistence you have positive energy and you build that step by step over a meal or over any form of communication. You know, as you're describing this, I keep thinking about this weekly event that I host. It's no more bad Zoom virtual happy hour. When I started it, I really, it was just to play with Zoom and learn and, you know, test things out. And now it's become this consistent thing that all these people like come to week after week. Now, unfortunately, it's at the most horrible time of night for India. <laughs> it's like in the middle of the night, two in the morning, something like that. Um, so not, not, a good, not a good practice. But um, it is at 5 Eastern, and we have people from Australia and New Zealand and Japan get up way early on a Saturday to join us. We have people in the UK and in, in Europe stay up way late. It's amazing, as you say, this global reach, this ability but that, that breaking bread philosophy, I think, really applies to the space we've created and why people keep coming back in the community we've created and the goodwill and the relationships. And there's business being done within those contexts. People are finding each other, collaborating with each other. So I love that we don't have to limit breaking bread to in-person. 
and that in some ways it's it's actually easier. Everyone has access to a Zoom, um, whereas it was maybe harder to figure out like how do you book the right venue and organize like all the ask the, log- the logistics of an in-person event are to me way more detailed than you know arranging for a Zoom call. So I hope we will check out this book. Um, we'll have that link as well as other links on our show notes. So tell us how can people find you and follow your work. So the best two ways to connect with me is either on my website, which is gotamganglani.com. That's everything about my profile, and you can always connect with me there. Otherwise, on the professional network, LinkedIn is a great way to connect with me personally. So either one of these are two ways to connect with me, and it would be an absolute pleasure to break bread with you online. Awesome. We'll have all those links in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Gautam, thank you so much for this conversation. It's been an absolute pleasure, Robbie. Thank you once again. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Gautam. Such a pleasure to speak with him and learn about his leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 218. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources in today's show, as well as over 200 archived episodes on this Pinterest-inspired page. Reach out. Let me know which were your favorite interviews. And another way to put this week's challenge into practice is to switch from thinking, I don't want Trump to be president for another four years, to it's time for Trump to be voted out of office. Then vote yourself and encourage 10 other people in your life to make a plan to vote. And if you've been thinking about becoming a certified virtual event professional, hashtag no more bad Zoom, there is a wait list for the next cohort of the 5% Advantage program. If you're a presenter or meeting professional, this is a great way to grow in your confidence with Zoom, online facilitation, and virtual event design. Learn more about this four-week program at the5percentadvantage.com and reach out if you'd like to chat. That's the number 5percentadvantage.com. If you enjoyed this episode with Gotham, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe for free so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to review Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance and I look forward to connecting again next week. We'll be interviewing another talent professional who has achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. That's on the schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.